Hi guys, and welcome to DeShaming. DeShaming is a movement and a podcast dedicated to raising awareness about incest abuse, sexual abuse, and childhood family trauma, and all the things that go along with that. I'm your host. My name is Pamela Clark. I am a licensed behavioral therapist, a survivor of incest abuse, and childhood family trauma. Today, I currently live in San Antonio, Texas, and I am thriving. Sit back relax. I hope you get something out of this podcast. I hope it helps you on your path to de-shaming. Most of all, I hope it motivates you to get up, get involved, and use your voice. All right, let's get started. Hi guys, and happy 2020. It's crazy that we are in a whole new decade. I'm pretty excited about it though, because I feel like the whole 2020 is is the vision that I have of my life and what I want to accomplish in this new new year. It's 2020, baby. Okay, so today we're going to talk about why I disappeared after recording the first podcast and the what happened, what transpired to, to make me hide and isolate. Um, and we're also going to talk about how I stepped past it and, and finally got bold enough to record this podcast. Okay, so here's what went down. <laughs> it's nothing dramatic, um, but it is. it was quite overwhelming for me. So I recorded the first podcast. I was super stoked. I was, I was on like a, a high that I had put my, all my shit out there. Um, and I didn't explode and, and the world didn't explode and nobody died and nobody killed me. Nobody disowned me. Um, so none of the things that my abusers used to say to me if I told happened. Which logically as an adult woman in her 40s, I know that would not happen. But there isn't a lot of logic that goes along with the emotions connected to my abuse. So that was great. I was on this high. I was super stoked. I was so happy. I was grateful for all the messages that people sent. And I was really, really happy that my sharing it helped so many people, encouraged them. Like that's the whole point of it, right? So, but then as time went on, the fear crept back in. And I started thinking, well, what if my family listens to it? And I'm not hiding the podcast. I'm not hiding Instagram. I'm not hiding my webpage. But I'm also not advertising it to my family. I have shared with the few members that I'm still close to. Um, but they haven't inquired about it or asked about the de-shaming movement. And so I'm, I'm not going to force it on them. Nor am I going to offer up the information if they're not engaging with me about it. So, but there is still that fear that, that I'm not afraid of you guys. I'm not afraid of telling the public. I'm, I'm still afraid on some levels. And that's probably a, a basic emotion to use to describe it. Some myriad of things that I feel about my family and the way that they handle my abuse. Because none of my abusers have validated. They all say they don't remember it or it didn't happen. And my favorite, my favorite one is 
my main abuser says, oh, it's only one time. As if that makes it any better, right? Like that. <laughs> oh, oh, I love it. Only one time. Because that's okay. Only one time's okay. So out of the almost 10 years of sexual abuse I suffered as a kid by family members, I got one time. And the time that he described, I don't even remember. Which is great. I'm happy to not share a memory with him. Uh, so he's the father of the nephew who is facing a hundred years in jail for child pornography. So I started letting that creep back in that feeling of God, my family's going to tell everyone that it isn't true, that what I went through isn't true and that I'm lying. And that's a shitty feeling to allow to creep back in. And then, of course, I was overanalyzing everything I said in the podcast. And I was listening to it over and over and going, God, you sound like an idiot. And all the, I'm a fraud. Who wants to listen to me crap, crap back in? Which isn't true. So then the, the biggest catalyst for me letting the shame wash back over me was one of my siblings called me. And this isn't a sibling that I'm close to. I don't particularly want anything to do with this person. They didn't directly abuse me. Um, but there was a, an incident when I was six that this sibling saw and wasn't capable of doing anything about it. So I'm being very careful to not say any gender or name. I, that's a personal choice that I've made because my siblings all have children and I can't prosecute them. So I don't need, I don't feel the need right now to expose anyone's name. I don't feel it would do, it would serve a purpose other than to hurt their families. And I don't wish to do that any further because I don't even know their children, most of them. So it would just be too complicated and messy. That's a personal choice of mine. So, um, respect that part of it if you can, please. So I had a conversation with this sibling and throughout the conversation, as is often true with most of my family, um, everything got turned back around on me. I didn't really do any talking during the conversation, but it was more of, uh, the things that I did wrong, <laughs> which is just so complicated comical to me like I have to laugh about it at this point in my life and as much therapy as I've been through it was turned back on me as if I needed to apologize for something and so of course it doesn't mean enough to me to fight with this person because it would be fruitless nothing would nothing would change if I contradicted or counteracted her his her statements made to me so but after I got off the phone with this person I really felt like someone had just taken a hose and just pumped shame all through me like I couldn't feel anything else I like I was drowning in it and it was horrible because that that shame isn't mine that's not my shame I keep taking on their shame and their guilt as if it belongs to me because I was taught by them that it was mine 
that I was the one that would be disowned. I was the one that would be kicked out of the house. I was the one who needed to go along with it because everybody else was doing it. And still, as, as a woman in her 40s, I'm still taking on their shame. I can't do that. I don't want to do that. It's not mine. It doesn't belong to me. And so th- that really is where the, sh- the name, the term for this movement came. De-shaming is, it's not my shame. It has to be theirs. So, but I took it in. And, and once that seeps in, it's really hard to let it go. It's, it's really hard to just shake it off. So for about almost a month, I was pretty shook. I didn't know what to say on Instagram. Like I tried to keep it lighter and because I wasn't in a space that I felt like I could help anyone, which isn't true. It's the space, that space I was in is the most helpful to anyone else going through the exact same thing I'm going through. Me to open up and talk about I'm dying in shame over here is the best thing I can do for anybody is to say it out loud and admit it and not hide it. Which is what my abusers would want me to do, right? Because that, that gives them power. They're still in, in charge when I'm still accepting their shame, right? So after then after that, I was kind of on a spiral of, of ignoring this and like, why did I take this on? I'm not strong enough to do this. It's not going to change anything, blah, 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 which I'm annoyed with that part of me (laughs) right now. I'm grateful for that part of me, but I'm also kind of annoyed that I've lost three months of progress we could have made in this movement. So then after that, my dog had to have surgery, which was a really interesting experience because I I live in San Antonio, Texas right now, and I'm alone. I don't have any family members here and don't necessarily fit in in Texas right like I'm I I hesitate to say that I don't want it to sound like I'm saying anything bad about Texas but my experience as far as trying to make friend or cultivate friendships here hasn't been good and I'll be moving this year so that should change but my when my dog had surgery it's a lot (laughs) he's a lot I love him but he's a lot and his yelping during certain experiences would trigger me. And it was so strange. Like it would, and I, I was still in that space of holding on to the shame from my siblings conversation. And that was full. And then I had the stress of with, you know, the stress that everybody goes through with their life of my dog um, and take caring for him after the surgery. And it was a lot. It was like five different times a day I had to do this. And then four times a day I had to do this. And he had to be immobilized. It was a mess. But when he would yelp, I swear it was like my initial instant reaction was fight or flight. I wanted, I would burst into tears and be full of fear and, and want to run away from him. So whatever that was triggering in me, I still don't know what memory or what part of my childhood that was triggered by. That, that's that been going on for about almost two months now. And I'm happy to say we're down to only doing medicine two times a day. And when he yelps, I just take a deep breath 
and say to myself, that's not mine. It's not about me. He's yelping because he doesn't understand why I'm putting 15 million eye drops in his eyeballs. So the process of having to work with my dog has really helped me heal, which is a strange thing to even consider. Although I have to say, as a therapist that uses animals, I use my dog with my clients. I work with kids. Um, They're incredibly helpful. So being able to recognize the help that my dog is giving me to heal through this process is kind of beautiful. So when I started to realize that, wait a minute, I'm healing through my dog, it just became a catalyst. That became a catalyst for me to let go of the fear that I had allowed back in through putting out the podcast and being afraid I was a fraud and then the conversation with my sibling. And so here we are now, finally, after three months, the second episode of Deshaming. I'm super proud of this. Um, I'm super proud of myself that I just don't care right now. And, and I need to put it out there. I need to put it out there for me. I need to put it out there for my healing. And as Dr. Lopez, my therapist, um, who I talked about in the first one, said, the only thing that matters about this podcast is what I think of it. I can't worry about what anyone else thinks because that's not authentic. And the people who need it will find it. I can't worry about speaking a certain way so not to offend this group of people or speaking this way to not offend this group of people. I can't. I spent my whole childhood doing that chess game of let me be safe and not offend anyone and hopefully I won't get abused tonight. I just can't do that anymore. So that's how I'm stepping past the fear and I'm past stepping past the shame of doing this movement. I have nothing to be ashamed of. I have nothing to be afraid of. I have nothing to be unsure of. My words are my words. If it hurts someone's feelings, I really apologize. It's not my intention ever, but I can only speak about my experiences and how I get through them. So slowly I have been letting go of the shame. I've started meditating, which I hate with a passion. <laughs> I'm sorry um, to Ralph De La Rosa, who is my teacher right now, if for any offense, and I'm going to clear that up. I hate it because I have to sit quietly. And when I sit quietly, I have to face the fear. I have to face the shame. So... You know how they say the line between love and hate is very thin? That's true in this case, too, because I understand that I will get to a point where I will be grateful for the meditation. I will I will embrace her and invite her into my life. But right now, I don't like it because I cry every time. It annoys me to have to sit still. Um, I'm not the calmest person on the on the planet. I'm quite all over the place. So it's difficult, but nothing uh, good is gained from anything easy. So I'm grateful for taking this class. And when the class is over, I'll tell you guys more about it because it's, it's online. It's really been a huge, huge benefit to me. And it's more than just meditating. It's 
I'll break it down for you when I'm done with it. Because right now I'm still learning the language of it. But Ralph is a psychotherapist. And he is also um, a meditation teacher. I hope I didn't mess that up. Anyway, I'll provide more information about that on Instagram and on the webpage when it's finished in a few weeks. Um, So using those tools and embracing the fear and embracing the shame and releasing it, I'm back. So this is the second episode. I hope this has been helpful. I think the biggest thing I've learned through this is that I don't have to be afraid of telling my truths. I don't have to have validation from any of my abusers. I don't have to worry about what anyone else is going to think about what I'm saying on this podcast. All that matters is how I feel about it, how I heal through it, and how I share that with people who need it. That's it. So thank you. I'm really grateful for each and every one of you that listens. I'm grateful for each and every one of you that messages me and supports me and just like a whole new family. And I really hope I get to meet a lot of you. That's my goal is to put together a retreat. We can all come together because I think there's always safety in numbers and it's always nice to meet people who completely and wholly understand how you feel without you even having to say anything. All right, guys, I really hope that this is helping you on your path to de-shaming. Uh, any questions or comments, please email me at imdshaming at gmail.com. And I will see you again in about a month. We're going to interview Dr. Daniel Lopez. It's kind of going to be like a open therapy session. That should be awesome. All right, guys, take care.